0: This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. This morning, we're going to start what will be a periodic study through the book of Proverbs. And if there's anything that anyone knows about Proverbs, it's that it is the book of wisdom. The book of Proverbs is... One of the books in the Bible that we refer to as wisdom literature, but undoubtedly most people think of Proverbs when you think of wisdom literature in the Bible. So I wonder what you think whenever you think of wisdom, or when you think of someone who is wise. In 2018, a survey was conducted of young adults, millennials, ages 18 to 35, and they were asked to name the wisest person in the world, not necessarily living at the time, but generally speaking, the wisest person in the world. Almost 50% of these millennials named a social or political or religious leader, folks like the Dalai Lama, Pope Francis, Barack Obama, and Maya Angelou. 25% of respondents named business leaders or celebrities like Jeff Bezos or Mr. Rogers. 22% of these millennials named elder family members or personal mentors. And the rest of the respondents simply didn't know how to answer the question at all. What was interesting to me is that the respondents attach wisdom to big names that they didn't actually know. 75% of the time, these millennials said that the wisest person in the world was someone they had never met. Only 22% of the time, did they refer to someone they actually knew. It's as if the better they actually knew someone, the less chance that they thought of that person being wise. Two years later in 2020, that same survey was conducted of a cohort of boomers, aged 56 to 75. 57% of this age cohort named social, religious, or political leaders as the wisest, 17% Less than the millennials chose family members or friends, and only 14% chose business leaders or celebrities. Nearly double the percentage of these boomers didn't know how to answer the question. And I thought the best statistic of all in all of these surveys was that 2% of these boomers thought that they were the wisest person who ever lived. I hope that's not some of the boomers in this room, but you never know. I was surprised it was only 2%, frankly, but it's neither here nor there. One other notable difference in the survey is that unlike the millennial survey, the boomer survey included in the list of wisest people, King Solomon. And so maybe that tells us a little bit of a difference, a generational gap of Bible knowledge and Bible literature intake that the boomers, 56 to 75, thought of King Solomon and The millennials, 18 to 35, didn't think of King Solomon at all. Well, this morning, we're going to turn our attention to King Solomon's book, to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And as we look at these seven verses, we're going to consider them in three sections. Uh, First, verse 1, we will see the author of Proverbs, the author of Proverbs. and verse 1, we're going to see that the author of Proverbs is the king, Second, in verses 2 through 6, we will see that the audience of Proverbs, the audience of Proverbs, are subjects of the king. And third, in verse 7, we see that the axiom at the heart of Proverbs, the axiom at the heart of Proverbs, is the fear of the Lord. So the author of Proverbs, verse 1, the audience of Proverbs, verse 2 through 6, and the axiom at the heart of Proverbs is verse 7. Before we jump into the text, let's stop and pray and ask God to be with us as we consider his word. Let's pray. God in heaven, we pray that as we come to this book of wisdom, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might behold wonderful things in your word. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would enable us to walk in wisdom before you as we consider your word this morning and we pray that you would do this for Jesus sake. Amen. Proverbs 1:1 teaches us that wisdom comes from the king. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 1. The proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. One of the wonderful things about the Bible, one of the things I love about the Bible is that when you come to a book of the Bible so often, the book will tell you who the human author is. I think that's so helpful for us because we understand God's Word to be, in fact, authored by God, but we also understand God's Word to be authored through human vessels. And here, in verse 1 of Proverbs, we are left with no doubt that it is King Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, that authored the book of Proverbs. King Solomon reigned over Israel from 971 to 931 BC. And we know from 1 Kings chapter 4 that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people at his time, surpassed all the wisdom of even Egypt at the time. We know from 1 Kings chapter 4 that Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and that his songs were 1,005, that Solomon composed proverbs of trees and beasts, of birds and of reptiles. And so we are told very plainly here in verse 1 that it is King Solomon who is the author of the book of Proverbs. And really, we understand that he is the author in the sense that he is the commissioner or the composer of the book. To be clear, we don't believe that Solomon wrote every one of the Proverbs, for we know in Proverbs 25 that Hezekiah's men, a king after Solomon, compiled Proverbs 25. We read of uh, a man named Agur and King Lemuel in Proverbs 31, for instance, and we don't exactly know who those folks are. Some folks have speculated that maybe King Lemuel is, uh, is a different name for King Solomon, but that's not likely. And so while Solomon may not have actually written every proverb in the book of Proverbs, verse one does tell us that the entire book bears the royal stamp of approval, that the entire book was commissioned by the king to set forth wisdom for his kingdom. But if it is true, that King Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people in his day, and if it is true that these proverbs represent wisdom from the wisest king to ever reign and rule over Israel, then it's reasonable for us to ask the question, how did King Solomon become so wise? Is the wisdom that is contained in this book only worldly wisdom that he gleaned from his years of ruling over Israel? 1 Kings chapter 3, we encounter King Solomon. And King Solomon in 1 Kings 3 asked God for wisdom. And in particular, he asked God for the wisdom to rule over God's people. And we know from the book of James, as you're studying in, in Dave Mitchell's Sunday school class, that in James, the, in the New Testament, that if any lack wisdom, we ought to ask of God and God will freely give it. And here we know that King Solomon did just that. Solomon asked God, to give his servant a receptive heart, to judge his people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours, King Solomon asked the Lord. And so is it any surprise that in Proverbs chapter 8, Solomon wrote that by wisdom, king's reign and kings rule. Rulers enact justice, and by wisdom princes lead, as do nobles and all righteous judges. King Solomon was full of wisdom because his king, the Lord God, had given him wisdom from on high. It was God's good pleasure to give his king wisdom, to rule over God's people. For we know that Solomon was a son of David, we're told in verse 1. And if you'll recall the sermon I preached back in December about how God had made a promise to King David to establish the throne of David forever and to place a son of David upon the throne who would reign and rule over God's people in wisdom forever. And so here, when King Solomon asked God for wisdom, God was pleased to give this king wisdom for David's sake. And so here in verse 1, we are told that this book of Proverbs is wisdom from God's king through God himself. It's wisdom from King Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. But even more than that, it is wisdom from God the king who reigns and rules through his sovereign for the good of his people. Who ultimately authored these proverbs, who ultimately compiled the wisdom found in them is of great significance for God's people. Because if the king is wise, then the people will be wise. But if the king is foolish, then the people will be foolish. If the king is wise, then the people will fulfill all of God's will. But if the king is foolish, then the people will perish under God's judgment. And the great tragedy of Proverbs is that this human author of Proverbs, King Solomon, didn't take to heart the great axiom of Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and so led the audience of Proverbs along the foolish way that led to God's judgment. For all of the surpassing wisdom that King Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, had in his day, we read in 1 Kings chapter 11 how King Solomon loved many foreign women, even the daughter of Pharaoh, we read how King Solomon was led astray by these women, that his heart was turned away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. And so some have wondered. Some have wondered if the way of wisdom set down for us in the book of Proverbs is from this this king, can we really trust it as the way of wisdom from God? If the foolish loyalty of Solomon and his kingdom are both torn in two because of his foolish heart, then can these proverbs really be authored in and guide us to holiness? And I believe that the answer is found for us not in King Solomon himself, but in that little phrase, Son of David. The good news for all of us is that the wisdom of Proverbs is not dependent upon the faithfulness of Solomon. But the wisdom of Proverbs is dependent upon the wisdom and faithfulness of the God who spoke through Solomon. Royalty and wise men, the Queen of the South, came from all over the world in Solomon's day to hear Solomon's wisdom. And we know that today so many people come to the book of Proverbs to glean its wisdom for business success for a happier marriage, for parenting advice, all good things in and of themselves, but seeking from Proverbs the fame and the treasure and the wisdom without seeking the one who gives the wisdom. And so we know that people came to Solomon. We know that people come to Solomon's wisdom today. But we read in Matthew chapter 12 that at the judgment, the queen of the south and the others will rise up. And condemn all those people who seek wisdom apart from the one, the only one, who can give wisdom. And so this son of David, King Solomon, may have failed to fully and finally walk the way of wisdom in the fear of the Lord. But the good news is that a son of David greater than Solomon has come. The Lord Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom, And of knowledge, where Solomon walked the foolish path away from the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ walked the way of wisdom, always doing the Father's will. Where Solomon's divided heart led to a divided kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world for one main purpose, to reconcile God and man. Where Solomon died a shameful death under the anger of God for his own sin, the Lord Jesus Christ died a shameful death under the wrath of God for our sin. And where Solomon lays cold in his tomb as a sign that he was not and is not the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ rose victorious over sin and death and hell, proving to us all that the ultimate author of Proverbs is the King himself. He had to take on flesh to walk the way of wisdom for us. He bore the penalty for our foolishness in his body on the cross and by the power of his Holy Spirit. He will empower us to walk the way of wisdom, all to the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of God, and the King of the world. Verse 1 teaches us that Proverbs is wisdom from the Son of David, the King of Israel. And verses 2 through 6 show us that the audience of Proverbs are subjects to this King. The audience of Proverbs are subjects to this king. Brothers and sisters, we come to Proverbs as Christians. We come to Proverbs as subjects of King Jesus to glean the wisdom of our king from the text of his holy scripture. Read with me verses 2 through 6. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verses 2 and 3 summarize for us the content of these proverbs. They show us that fundamentally these 31 chapters of Proverbs are not some lofty philosophical rumination, but instead are words of insight and instruction for wise dealings. They help us live righteously, justly, and equitably. One commentator referred to Proverbs as a book of street smarts for servants of the king. And I, I like that. I'm an East Houston boy, and so street smarts play well into our East Houston Mentality. By way of analogy, if the University of Texas historically focused on liberal and philosophical arts, then it stands to reason that Texas A&M University is the proverbial University of Texas, focused on applied and practical wisdom, useful knowledge for a useful life. And as you read through Proverbs and as we study Proverbs together, I think you'll see exactly what I'm saying. You will find in Proverbs wisdom that apply to diligence and laziness, work and rest, marriage and parenting, friendship and good manners, wisdom that applies to ordinary life and wisdom that even leads us into eternal life. These Proverbs are written with everyday scenarios in mind, practical wisdom at its very heart, meant to instruct us in wise dealing so that we might live righteously and justly and equitably in this life for the glory of God and in preparation for the life that is to come. In these verses here, two through six, uh, the author of Proverbs identifies for us three types of people. Three types of people, the simple, the youth, and the wise. And you will see these three groups of people show up throughout Proverbs at different points. And usually these groups are presented in parallel to an opposite group. So for instance, you might read of the youth and the elderly or the one with gray hair. In Proverbs, you'll read of the simple and the cunning. And most well-known is the juxtaposition between the wise and the fool. And so many of these Proverbs are also set forth as a father speaking to a son. And that's not necessarily two different groups of people so much as a, a, a teaching device that the king would give for the fathers to instruct their children. But throughout Proverbs, you see these groups of simple, the youth, and the wise it's most likely that the simple and the youth and the wise are three different types of people within the kingdom that's meant to, uh, meant to represent everyone within the kingdom. So we remember that we hear, are dealing here with Proverbs from the king to his people. And so we should take the Proverbs as being given to these types of people to show forth wisdom for everyone in the kingdom. These Proverbs give prudence to the simple. The simple are most likely a type of person who is naive or ignorant about the ways of the world. They're not necessarily immoral, but they are ultimately unaware about how to live prudently in the world, which means they simply may make immoral decisions unaware. These proverbs will give knowledge and discretion to the youth. So there are young people sitting here this morning, and you need to know that you can read the proverbs and gain knowledge and discretion for how to grow in wisdom. It seems rather evident, self-evident, but young people don't have the knowledge and discretion that's gained as you live your life. The other day, uh, we were at dinner and we were asking each one of our children, we have three children, five, almost nine, and 10, and we were asking each one of our children different math questions. Because this is what we do at dinner time, apparently. And the way we asked those questions of our five year old child was different than the way we asked our nine and ten year old. The five year old has less knowledge. And so we asked him, what does 11 look like? Whereas with a nine and ten year old, we asked much more complicated questions. So, in the same way, the five year old has less knowledge, he also has less discretion. If you've met him, you know that's true. Less discretion than our nine and ten year old. Because he hasn't lived as much life, he hasn't seen as many dangers, he hasn't been warned of as many things, and he certainly hasn't received as many consequences for his disobedience because he's the baby of the family. It's certainly not always the case that with age comes wisdom. But it is generally true that youth have less knowledge and discretion than adults. And so these proverbs are meant at least in part to give youth knowledge and discretion. These proverbs are also intended so that the wise may increase in learning and obtain guidance. The wise here likely refers to adults who are already prudent and already reasonable in their judgments. And isn't it instructive to us that despite them already being prudent and reasonable in their judgments, that they can grow in wisdom that the wise can actually grow in their prudence and reasonableness and knowledgeableness. Knowledge, knowledgeableness is not a word. They can grow in these ways. And so the reality is that these three types of people, the simple, the youth, and the wise, are every type of person imaginable in the kingdom. Fundamentally, Proverbs is for everyone. The audience of Proverbs is everyone. Some of us may not consider ourselves simple, and others of us may wear our simplicity as a badge of honor. Others of us are undoubtedly youth in need of knowledge, and some of us don't realize we're still youth who need discretion. Many of us may be wise in our own eyes, but by God's grace, some of you are truly wise in the Lord. But no matter your station in life, if you are subject to the king, then Proverbs is for you. Brothers and sisters, consider that the Lord Jesus read the Proverbs himself to grow in wisdom. Do you recall the episode from Luke chapter 2, when Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the family, they go up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and on their way home, it said they had gone about a day's journey, Mary and Joseph realize that they have lost the 12-year-old Jesus. Rushing back into Jerusalem and searching for three days, they finally found Jesus. Where was he? He was in the temple. He was in the temple sitting and listening to the teaching and asking questions, the text says. In Luke chapter 2 verse 52, we're told that this boy Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature in favor with God and with man. And don't you know that part of his growth in wisdom is that he was one of the youth from Proverbs who gained knowledge and discretion. Because we know that all Scripture, even Proverbs, is breathed out by God. All scripture, even Proverbs, is profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God, even the son of God himself, may be complete for every good work. And so maybe, maybe there's wisdom in WWJD after all, loved one if you want to know wisdom and instruction, if you want to understand words of insight, if you want to receive instruction in wise dealing and be righteous and just and equitable, then perhaps you should ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And you should be prepared to do exactly what Jesus did and study the book of Proverbs. And as we study Proverbs together, Proverbs chapter one, verse seven teaches us that the heart of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The heart of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 is essentially the thesis statement for all 31 Proverbs we have in our Bible. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord here is a phrase that appears throughout Scripture And it carries with it a deeply moral connotation. The fear of the Lord does not mean that you are afraid of God in the same way you may be afraid of a terrorist or a tornado. No, the fear of the Lord is the sense of reverent awe. Reverent awe that we have before the Lord our God. The sense that the Lord is in fact a consuming fire and can destroy both body and soul. And yet this Lord is the covenant Lord. He is Yahweh, who Moses saw in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is faithful. He keeps steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He's also the Lord, who will by no means clear the guilty, who will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon their children and upon their children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And so verse 7 ties the very heart of wisdom to having reverent awe for Yahweh, the, the covenant Lord. And loved ones, we know. We know that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And we know better than even the people of Israel of the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases because while it is true that God may not clear the guilty, God offers mercy and grace because He Himself bears our guilt in the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And so the fear of the Lord ought to drive us to the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ who lived for us and died for us and rose from the dead for us. It's in coming to Jesus Christ by faith that our crooked ways can be made straight. It's in coming to Jesus Christ by faith that our foolish hearts can be replaced with a spirit of wisdom. It's in coming to Jesus Christ by faith, ultimately, that our guilty conscience can be cleansed by the righteous blood of our King. So Proverbs 1, verse 7 tells us that in coming to Jesus Christ, we begin in knowledge. We begin in wisdom. We fear the Lord Jesus Christ and the gateways of wisdom have been opened unto us. And so in the Bible, biblical wisdom is knowing how to apply godly principles to providential circumstances. In the Bible, godly, but uh, biblical wisdom is how to apply godly principles to providential circumstances. And the only way that we can do so is if we are united to Jesus Christ and sealed by the Spirit of Christ. Wisdom itself in Proverbs is presented to us in in multiple ways. It's personified in multiple ways. And there's lots of discussion about whether lady wisdom is some kind of type of Christ and all of that. But fundamentally in Proverbs, wisdom is presented as an attribute of God. The scriptures are clear that God is most wise. Time would fail me to quote scripture after scripture that describes the wisdom of God in creation and the wisdom of God in providence and the wisdom of God in redemption. God is truly immortal, invisible, God only wise as we sung earlier. It is the reverent awe, the fear of this God in Jesus Christ that is the beginning of wisdom. And so is it any wonder that as we read through Proverbs, Lady Wisdom is personified as a handmaiden helping us walk with the Lord. Proverbs is intended, loved ones, to be on-the-ground guidance from our King, to walk in wisdom in every facet of our lives. It is proverbial wisdom to be sure, not guarantees. It is proverbial wisdom to be sure, and it requires spiritual wisdom to apply it to our providential circumstances. But brothers and sisters in Christ, the book of Proverbs is meant for us to be a field guide for life given to us by our king so that we might have the street smarts needed to serve the king with one another on the path of life. And so we have work to do, loved ones. We have work to do. And Proverbs 4 does command us to get wisdom and to get insight. And so brothers and sisters, the fear of the Lord is not the beginning of your detachment from the world. The fear of the Lord is not the beginning of some ephemeral, otherworldly, disinterested, no earthly good spirituality. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, certainly knowledge for the life that is to come. But what we see in Proverbs is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom for all of life. For this very life, this life that we are to live by faith in the Son of God to the glory of God, this life that we are to live so that others may see our good and wise deeds and glorify our God who is in heaven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and of wisdom so that servants of the King can salt the earth and light up the world. And so brothers and sisters, fear the Lord and get wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Verse 7, verse 7 is for us to fear the Lord so that we may get wisdom. But verse 7 is also clear that those who reject wisdom and instruction, that is those who do not fear the Lord, those people are fools. It's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. It's the fool in Proverbs who is full of evil and hatred and folly. To be a fool in Proverbs is to love sin. To be a fool in Proverbs is to be in rebellion against the king. And so friend, if you're here this morning, perhaps that is you. Perhaps you do not trust in the Lord with all your heart. Perhaps you lean on your own understanding and do not live in reverent awe of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you say in your heart, there is no God. Friends, you need to know that you are a fool. Your foolish path will lead to destruction and your end is separation from God in hell. But, friend, the good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ is full of wisdom and he knows exactly how to deal with your sin. Jesus walked the way of wisdom to overcome your path of folly. Jesus died a fool's death and yet rose from the dead to open wide the gate on the path of wisdom. He will give life. To anyone who would turn from their foolish way and walk the narrow way of wisdom by faith in Jesus Christ. This sacred writing, this book of Proverbs is not simply wisdom for this life. But it can make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so friend, come to Jesus Christ today. Come to Jesus Christ by faith. Don't be a fool any longer. Fear the Lord Jesus Christ and walk the way of wisdom today and walk with Jesus forever in glory. Well, the book of Proverbs is wisdom from our king. It's given to subjects of the king so that we might live a wise life of reverent awe, of fear of the Lord. And by God's grace, we will grow in wisdom and in knowledge as we study the book of Proverbs. And as we do so, loved ones, let us not forget the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We should consider our calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of us were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of us were powerful or of noble birth. But God chose What is foolish in the world, that is us, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of God, you are in Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast not in wisdom, but let him boast in the Lord. Fear the Lord, get wisdom, boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take your word and plant it deep in our hearts. We pray that you would bring forth the fruit of wisdom in our own lives by the Spirit of Christ. And God, we pray that we would walk with Christ today and every day until we are with him in glory. when we will see his face and we will love him as he is. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.